Conesty, how are ye? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast and a very special chat we're about to have. We are, well, we tell stories, we're a mytholog mythological podcast and we chat about them afterwards and today we're doing something a little bit different. My background has been acting and performance, so because your background has been writing, language and branding. Yeah, today, a former life. Yeah, well today we're sitting down with our brother, who we'll introduce in a moment, but we want to basically use the mythology that we've been doing to catch you guys up on the stories, the conversations that we've been having with our brother as he's been going through a creation process for his brand to come up with a permaculture cooperative to help educate, empower and design people's lands, which is very exciting. Yeah. Can't wait to get into the chats and what it's all about. So Sorica, can you give us a bit of a framework for what this is all about? Yeah, so kind of background is going back to my former life as a someone who worked for a branding consultant. So I worked for nearly 10 years with a branding consultancy called Alexander Dunlop Limited, based out of Dublin, but working with a lot of global brands. And a lot of that was uh, we did a bunch of cultural research into how different stories are in different cultures. Uh, we did a lot of work on uh, the stories and the sort of meta narratives. But the the primary focus of Alexander Dunlop was the archetype, figuring out the brand personality. And we used archetypes from global mythology all over the world uh, to figure out, you know, strong personalities for big brands to have. Uh, Sandy and the ADL team, like we worked with a lot of a lot of big brands. We worked with kind of Unilever brands and household cleaning and things like that and some food brands. And, you know, it was it was uh, there was a lot of big uh, jobs in there <laughs> I'm not going to name a specific name because yeah, yeah, that yeah, feels a bit weird, but it does. Um, yeah, I had some I had some strange business travel in my in my early thirties. Um, that was that was very fun. But we did a lot of work on the archetype, and it's something that I was always really interested in was the story of a company, mm -hmm. and how to actually take that and use it and make use of it. And so one of the things that we have kind of background been noodling at in Candlelit Tales for a while now is how we might come up with our own version of some of that work, particularly focusing on the stories of a brand and the way to narrativize those. Now, I think when you're telling a story, the first thing that you need is to actually figure out who the main character of the story is. Mm -hmm. So you do still need the personality. And right. so a few years back, you were over in Guatemala and I had taken Candlelit Tales, the team at the time, through a, a branding workshop that was largely based on what I used to do with ADL. Yeah. And then you kind of took some of that and I think did the first sort of proto-Candlelit Tales version of that process. Sure with Neil and his team out in Guatemala talking about what is now Creosol. Yeah. So and should we... I guess the the idea of using that to help our brother Neil, who's over in Guatemala, has a permaculture business. You have a farm, you have a restaurant, you have consultancy, you have all this stuff. And it was huge and it was lots of stuff. Uh, and trying to get down to being cohesive, coherent and consistent with a brand is no easy feat and there's a lot of stories. So Neil, I guess a bit of an introduction. Do you want to introduce yourself first and foremost? Yes, um, I'm 
I'm Neil. Uh, I'm the oldest of, of uh, <laughs> these three siblings, actually. Yeah, um, you were here first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at this point, I'm probably the least well-known in Ireland, but I, 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 far more famous in Central America for entirely yes. different reasons. Um, I, me and my business partner Jeremy and my wife Adriana have a permaculture farm. Um, we, I, uh, there's a longer story around this that's available on our website as a blog post my my story in guatemala since i came here in 2008 but basically uh that's it i've been in this country most of the time since 2008 um what's the website called neil well our website is called the website you can find us on right now is grantasikin.com um and also Pop it in the in the. the we'll show put notes. it. We'll put a lot of we'll stuff, put all in that show stuff in show notes. Yeah, yeah. Put all that stuff in there because we're working on our new website at the moment. So, okay, let me see. My, <laughs> I were I got I was very fortunate. I got to work for a lot of really interesting organizations and on a lot of really interesting projects in my early times in Guatemala. I got very fascinated by the area by by the by permaculture and. It goes by different names, permaculture. There's also a big movement here that work in agroecology. Um, it really just means um, designing ecosystems to be productive and meet human needs. And at the time when I was back in my early early 30s, late 20s, I was really just searching for something that a guy like me could do in a country like Guatemala that is actually useful because along the journey at some point i did a in, in my early 30s i did a master's in development studies and a lot of it was just like about looking at the laws of unintended consequences how mm-hmm. people go out with a savior complex to a country like this um you know which is always a problem but you know in an in an attempt to to solve one problem you create a bunch of new ones and eventually i kind of looked at it and i said like well you know, this permaculture stuff makes so much sense to me because it's very fundamental. And if we just work with um, improving the resource base, planting trees, cleaning watersheds, growing food in a, in a perennial way that, you know, mitigates climate change, then that's a good start, at least. Um, so I just kind of decided many years ago that this is what I was going to dedicate my life to. Um, and six years ago... Uh, we bought a piece of land together and we started a permaculture farm at the start we did everything we kept pigs we tried to grow every single fruit and vegetable that we could uh we kept chickens we got goats over the years we simplified it and this this is really the year that it's starting to just fall into harmony we're we're we are actually expanding but basically at our farm we grow a lot of uh, we grow a couple of different root crops for our restaurant. Um, uh, we grow a lot of salad greens and cooking greens, which we sell um, to kind of restaurants and stores all around us. Uh, we, li- we live in Lake Atitlan in Guatemala, so it's a very touristy um, area. Um, we... But actually, most of what the stuff we grow, so we have two or three cash crops, which are our our eggs from our happy chickens, um, 
our salad greens, our cooking greens. And then we grow an awful lot of other stuff because we have these um, biggish areas that are under food forests where we rotate chickens, which we raise for meat. Um, we grow a lot of, uh, you know, diverse fruits and a lot of kind of a pretty big array of, of, of vegetables, and, and but seasonally. And so what we do is because we have a restaurant, all of the excess stuff from the fun stuff just goes to our restaurant and gets put on like plates of the day or whatever else. And then we have a kind of a consistent production of cash crops, which we use to sort of fund the operation. Um, and we've basically been tinkering and experimenting with that for the last six years. And we're finally at something which, which kind of works. Um, and in the six years that in order to fund that, basically what we did was we worked pretty much full time as permaculture designers and particularly project managers. Mm. Um, so a lot of people started to move here after the pandemic, um, wanting to live the good life, wanting to have the naturally built home and the food forest and all the rest of it. And, and what we did was we we designed those systems and then we managed guys and, 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 and carried them out. I hated that part of my job and that part of my life. And I'm so glad it's over. So <laughs> I officially retired from project management. Um, and this is something I talk a lot about in uh, now in my teachings, um, which is the importance of knowing oneself. So I am a visionary. And I'm uh, in human design. I'm a pro I'm a projector. Um, in the ocean model, I'm a I'm a open, not conscientious, extroverted, agreeable uh, person with a high enough level of neurosis. <laughs> Which, if anyone study that model will know that that's a horrible uh, combination for a project manager. It's a great one for a designer because I'm really creative and I have loads of ideas, but I hate counting nails and 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 I hate and I don't like attention to details. Them. Yeah, and um, and I I kind of realized it, I basically had I, I took on too many too too many projects. I was trying to run our farm and I had sort of like a complete mental and physical breakdown about a year ago um which uh i wouldn't say i'm recovering from i i took it entirely just as feedback actually and um and and i'm very grateful for the experience um but i i learned a lot from it and my main learning when i went back to this is a roundabout story because we did the initial uh branding workshop with aaron probably two years ago when we had the, the the seed of this idea at the start which was to put our permaculture stuff out there online and to make it more widely available to people um and at the time i was i was still wrapped up in managing all these projects and doing all these these kind of these big elaborate bills and, and managing all these people but the the workshop itself was extremely interesting because at the time, we occasionally did these permaculture design courses at our farm, and people really enjoyed them. And I love teaching. Yeah. Uh, but also at the time, eighty or ninety percent of my kind of like CPU was just going out to to project management. Um, and so, 
I eventually had this. So Aaron's Aaron's thing that he did with us really was he explained to us the importance of of telling our story, firstly, and our story being really all of our own individual stories. Uh, my yeah. business partner, Jeremy, in a sense, does have a very similar story to me in the sense that he's from Boston, also from the developed world, came to Guatemala as a fairly young man, got into managing permaculture projects, later got into teaching. And Aaron, as we told the stories, Aaron was just kind of like, this This sounds like Lou. Like, do you want again, to elaborate on that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting, again, the origin story, and we've talked about this in terms of Candlelit Tales, where we use the origin story very much in our own brand, quite a lot of we are siblings, you should tell me stories to shut me up. It's the only way I got creatively mm. inspired, and, and now we tell stories together, and we started off in Stag's Head and built up from there. And we use that, and we tell that a lot in our performances live, and it's kind of how we came to be where we are today in the telling of these stories. And I guess going over and, and hearing all the stuff that you do, which is, you know, both neurotic, chaotic and brilliant and beautiful in, in so many ways. But there was such a big umbrella of stuff that you were playing with. And so coming back down to what it is you're trying to do, trying to inspire, trying to empower and trying to organize your, your own minds together and essentially accomplish all of the things, all of the master of all of, of them, you know, and there was that character coming to mind of the, this, the Sunday, Lula Fada, yeah. the, the master of all who asks a question and knows the answer for always, but also offers it up unconditionally to everyone around and, and kind of seems to be the, the, the final piece of the puzzle that the two of Anna needed to defeat the Fuimura, the Fomorians in the And is is also a great archetype of leadership because Absolutely. Lou, when he's put in charge of the army, goes and asks everybody what they're good at. Yeah. And like values everybody for their own particular skills and their own perspective and is able to like deploy them and and guide them. Absolutely, yeah. And kind of honor them as experts in their own Capacity mm -hmm. and asking questions is kind of fundamentally how, yeah. how he organizes the army because he's like, What do you do? The, what do you do? What the do you curiosity do? and the openness of a leader who's able to go, Okay, I'm great at stuff, but you're also great at stuff. What's your deal? What are yeah. you good at? How can we make, how can we, how can we bring that out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that everybody is, you know, expressing themselves to the fullness of their cap, of their capacity as well. Absolutely. Exactly. And I didn't realize, kind of say, in the period of my life, where I was trying to do all this project management. And in a sense, I was, there was kind of a scarcity mindset attached to that because I'd been here for so long that I liked the title of expert, right? And I liked kind of being like, don't worry, I can do everything for you. I'll design your land, I'll build it, I'll run the crew of guys, I'll find the materials. Um, you just sit over there and I'll do it all for you. Mm. Um, which is a real kind of like, it's almost like an immature hero uh, thing to do, actually. And it's, like I say, one of the big problems with it is I just, about five of the things that I just said, I'm horrible at. Like, I don't like sourcing materials. I don't like managing people. Um, I like empowering people. I like trying to bring out the best in them. And and so eventually this kind of like light bulb moment that I had professionally uh, about, about a year ago, I was just like, you know what? No, I'm not doing this anymore. 
and that was scary because it was like whoa i've built up this kind of like business where i have like a, a hundred or so guys that call me their boss and that move around from one project to another and, and have done some amazing work um in in building like regenerative landscapes reforestation projects uh, naturally built homes mm. you know all this amazing stuff that i'm super grateful i got to be a part of but eventually what i started saying to people was like no i i don't want to manage your project what i would love to do is work with you on a one-on-one -on -one basis for about two months so that we can carry out a full visioning session for what it is that you want for your project and this is I, i'm going to talk now about my the particular yeah. process that i've started to use right which is to first really understand what the vision and what the dream of the person involved is second to carry out a very thorough site analysis right so we we use a drone we take we make topographical maps we analyze the watershed we look at the climate the person is in the different microclimates on the land and then that is our frame in which inspiration and ideas come 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 forward and the typical thing is that people want to jump past that process and they're like oh it's great you're here i want to have a herb spiral and a natural swimming pool and it's like wait 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 those are all things you want let's go back and see what your vision is let's make sure your vision actually lines up with who you really are let's carry out a really thorough site analysis and then let's see what the convergence point between the vision and the actual reality of the site that you're working with is and by limiting things to that degree real creativity can, can can emerge right and it's kind of analogous to um you know putting a frame around a painting and choosing the type of colors that you're going to use you're actually in the in the early stages of the process you're just eliminating possibilities yeah um, and it it kind of as as i started to reflect on it I realized that it was quite similar in a sense to what Aaron had done, where he was like, no, hang on a sec, forget about logos, forget about names, forget about anything like this. What is your story? What are the archetypes that you're looking to embody? Or, or what are the archetypes that you do embody when you're at your best? Mm. Right. And, and I found the whole thing really interesting. And so, <laughs> Like the process with Aaron stayed in the background. Um, it kind of just sat there as a seed as um, kind of my whole life fell apart. And I, I had to face, I had to face my old kind of like my own dark night of the soul uh, about a year ago. Yeah. And then as I started to do this work just on an informal basis with, with, with clients kind of one-on-one, -on -one, um, I, I really got into just, to just doing that. And I really took, my wife and I, we took all of our, um, all of our massive library of designs and educational materials, and we got them all drawn up into little comic books, into little kind of like comic book style animations that we can use to explain these concepts to people. And I started to look at it much more in a way of like, look, I'm not an expert. I just happen to have been shown all this stuff and I understand it. It took me 10 years to understand it, but if I explain it properly to you, it, it'll only take a month or two. And then <laughs> after this information and this process, I can facilitate you to basically do your own design in which I am going to guide it. 
And then what I do kind of in Guatemala is uh, we get to the end of the process, we lay out the whole site, we do the drawings for the buildings, we do the drawings for the landscape. Um, and then I do a couple of sessions with them where I prepare them for managing a project in Guatemala. And I said, okay, I'm not going to do this for you because this part sucks. But if it's <laughs> your project, it's yes. worth it. Yes. If it's your project, it's worth it. I like managing projects on my farm because I got to deal with logistics and deal with some stuff I don't really like. But it's totally worth it because at the end, I end up with an awesome goat farm or, 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 yep. or whatever thing. Whatever you, you get the cheese at the end yeah. of the of And, the and the I get the, the compound interest of that for years and years yes. and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no one will ever care about your project more than you do. So yeah. I basically kind of coach my clients then through. I say, like, look, now take your master plan, divide it up into sections, uh, talk to contractors and get them to give you a price and a timeline for each one and get all the materials there ahead of time. Don't try to, don't think that you're saving money by not buying materials um, and then having to buy things in like dribs and drabs. All, all the, basically all, all the of the mistakes really, yeah. that I made over sort of 10 years of running projects here, I, I kind of give them a handbook for how to avoid making those mistakes. And it just on a, kind of energetic level it started to feel so much better because i was like oh no i'm actually just um i'm taking the, the 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 expert title completely away from myself and it's much more a model that's 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 based on um on giving right um and so and it was as i was having success with that and as I started to free up all this time and be like, whoa, I don't have all these projects to manage. I can actually think. I can actually write. I can actually um, look at things. We, you know, a number of people went through the process with us. And we also do another thing now where we we, we, ho we host week-long courses at our farm pretty much now every month. And again, with the week-long courses, what we do is a lot of people who, who want to hire me as a consultant, I just say, look, just come and take our week-long course. Bring a map of your site with you and use it actually to generate interesting questions in the course for other people to learn from. If you don't know how to do that, I can do it for you. And, and that's been brilliant because then it's been, it's, it's been amazing because in the courses that we do here, we show people the farms, we show people all the cool little projects that we've done. We open people's minds a bit, but then they actually go through the process that we teach them and they get about 90% of the way there with their own design, which in some senses, if you're in a kind of an egoic stage is like, oh shit, can I really just teach everyone everything I knew in a week that it took me like 15 years to learn? But it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six week storytelling course, yeah, right. weekend storytelling course. Ugh, that's and, all you know. Learn, and learn, learn fundamentals. You know, yeah, learn, exactly. Learn, learn fundamental principles, and then so so so, he, so then then I started to get to the point where like a few of you know quite a number of people were like, you need to get this stuff out there. This stuff is useful. People who aren't in Guatemala should be able to take this go through this exact same process and so i then suddenly got stuck with this like and it's actually been months of this in which you know we've been talking and you guys gave yep. me this like really useful questionnaire to fill out where you were like you know it just helped me to kind of go like okay 
what is your story what are you actually trying to do um what is the crux of your service how does this thing work and you know that was really helpful because like well, i say again and just in terms of cutting in there Neil, but like the idea of being consistent with this umbrella like the umbrella like there's so much there i'm sure whoever's listening is just like that's a lot how mm. is it all one business it's it's a table it's our spreads of food to it's a farm to table restaurant it's a it's a farm designer. it's a design company it's a course it's a, teacher. It's a teaching yeah. thing it's a program it's a process so it's right. difficult to get all, you know everything concise and how do you like break uh-huh. it down and so like you start just doing wordplay of like what are the words that jump out that that are right for you that consistently link in with with this story with this narrative of of your origin story you and jeremy and, and your wife yeah. Adri, like how you've all come together and you know spinning off on those ideas and having lou in the background as that kind of that questioner the person who asks questions yeah. in order to to lead on and inspire others and empower empower those and so like you you did a great job in fairness of like coming up with so many ideas but again you have to like filter it down filter it down filter it down yeah filter, and filter he down. like what i started to meditate on so as we went through the next phase of the process right which is what you're talking about here like filling out the questionnaire getting all the stuff down on paper identifying the words that really resonate with what you're trying to do uh one thing that like Sarika was big on in our conversations was this idea of like internalize loop develop a develop an actual like relationship with this archetype that you're trying to embody and i thought that was a brilliant idea right because it's like because if if you know it's hard to say to someone like oh you're a sun god that's who <laughs> say, no within all of us are these archetypes and we can embody them either fully or we can kind of like repress them is like sort of like i think the Jungian idea in a sense yeah and so kind of what i started to do was i started to imagine that like there's there's this guy lou and he's he's in the background of my psyche in a sense guiding me the same way your conscience would in a way and i can actually open up a dialogue with him the same way our good family friend david o'connor did with jesus you know he said he had a personal relationship with jesus and i think that's what he was kind of talking about um and so for me it was like actually like really internalizing an image of this this deity who 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 was all knowing and all seeing but also committed to guiding and empowering other people and so that was kind of that was really helpful and and then and then the kind of like moment of inspiration because we so our challenge was we already have a farm to table restaurant right and it's quite well known we call it Gran Hasikin um Granja means farm. Sikin is one of the 20 Mayan Nawales. Uh, there's 20 there's 20 Nawales that are kind of like 20 energies. Um, and and it rotates through the 20, the 20 each day is a different energy, and then it gets back and starts again, right? Um, and Sikin, um, spelled T-Z-I-K-I-N, symbolizes it is symbolized by the bird and it symbolizes abundance. Mm. Uh, and we really liked that at the time because it's understandable it's 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 a it's a mayan word we're in guatemala so we wanted a name that was kind of like 
a cross between Spanish and, and Mayan. Yeah. Um, and we liked the symbology of farming in a way that's good for the native bird population. Right. So that was kind of like our initial concept. It's a horrible brand if you're wanting to do, uh, you know, if you're wanting to host online courses and no one can spell it because no one can spell it, no one can pronounce it, no one knows what it means. And yeah. so we decided we wanted an umbrella brand under which our farm would continue to exist and live, but also under which future projects that any of us do can also live. Yeah. And and what this brand specifically does is it takes people through our, our educational program and it teaches them all of the kind of the permaculture fundamentals, design principles, and through a series of uh, recorded calls with with um, with educational content supporting them and live calls where we actually talk through the specific challenges along each stage over a course of about six weeks participants are able to a hundred percent of the time produce their own coherent full site layout plan for their permaculture project be that a farm an eco community a homestead whatever it is and and then at the end of that, like I say, if they need us to, we can pass their hand sketch into a kind of a really nice digital yeah. representation that they can use for getting um, funding or investing or, or, or whatever else. Right. So we wanted an umbrella brand to to kind of encapsulate that. Um, and and so we were still going around and I was just kind of going back to like Lou, the sun god. I like and, and the word sol came kind of came out to me and i was talking to jeremy about it my partner uh and jer was feeling uncomfortable with it because he was like yeah oh, god uh like solar deities i don't want to say we're a sun god and i kind of jokingly said i was like well we've always kind of gone we've always used this hashtag line called hashtag cerotes sostenibles in our um in on our kind of Instagram posts and Facebook posts, which we've been terrible at, but we kind of every now and again we get enthusiastic and we show a little video of a cool thing, and we would always put hashtags throughout the sustainables, which to our, our there might be like one Guatemalan listening to this, and I guarantee you he or she is is laughing their ass off. Um, cerote in Guatemalan Spanish kind of means like it's a term of endearment or a, a vulgar insult, depending on how you say it. Um, and uh, sustainable means sustainable. So we, we, I always just thought this, I, I mean, I find Guatemalan Spanish so interesting and so, mm. so colorful and I, and I, it, it's my barely, it's my second language at this stage. Um, uh, but we always thought that this was a funny hashtag. Guatemalans always loved it. They always found it hilarious that we would say we're the cerotes sustainables, which kind of means like sustainable pieces of shit, actually, if you were to literally translate it. Which, by the way, anyone learning Spanish who goes to Latin America, I really don't recommend literally translating the things people say because it, 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 in English, they sound horrifically vulgar a lot of the time. Um, but there we are. And I liked it and I was like, oh, we could just call ourselves if you if you don't want to take yourself so seriously and you don't want to be called after a sun god, why don't we just call ourselves Cerote Sustainable's Permaculture? And then I was kind of like I had this aha moment and I was like, oh, wait, Sol C S P Crea Sol Permaculture. 
I started to think about this. Uh, I just went into kind of like almost a deep meditation one day a few weeks ago and let all these things kind of permeate. But um, I love for a long time, I'd love the idea of of Lou and, and like I say, had kind of fostered this dialogue with him. Um, and the the name Creasol came to me because it is this thing that I'm so often at pains to point out to to our students, to our clients, um, and and I find is just fundamentally missing piece of information or understanding in in our in our culture, but obviously wasn't to previous civilizations, which is why you have so many sun deities, which is that actually all life comes from the sun. All life is, in a sense, is, in a really simple sense, is it's sunlight and carbon dioxide turned into biomass through plants and through photosynthesis. And so all we're ever looking to do in ecological design is to maximize the amount of photosynthesis that happens. And when we do that, we increase the life-supporting capacity of an ecosystem, right? And I think if 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 things were looked at through that lens instead of this like oh climate change and stop and don't do this and blah blah blah, uh, and that somehow climate change is kind of used as a as a sort of you have to stop doing all these things and even stop farming and slow down. It's like no, you can farm in an ecological way as long as you're maximizing photosynthesis. You can do anything as long as you're focusing on on this, and so. So when you when you think about it from those terms, I, I think all mystics and all spiritual people understood this at a very fundamental level that that all life is actually emerging out of the sun. And that is our kind of primary energetic input into the into the biosphere, let's say. Um, and and so it makes sense to develop an internal dialogue and to have an archetype around this kind of like ideal being, which is what which is what Lou was. And, and it also makes sense to me then to kind of have a juxtaposition between, well, maybe we are all Sirotes uh, <laughs> on some level, and but maybe we're more than that. And maybe, maybe it's okay to say, you know, um, Yeah, maybe it's okay to say like, yeah, humans can be terrible. They can literally act like pieces of shit, but we're also connected to this divine energy, which which never goes out. You know, the sun never yeah. leaves us. The the God, the 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 Lula Fada or the Jesus that we can have connection through through our through our hearts or through silence is always there, and. You know, I did start to think then about the kind of effect on the psyche of Guatemalans of continually referring to each other, even though it's in a kind of uh, a jokey um, sort of bro way of continually calling each other pieces of shit. Um, yeah. And, you know, and and so I, so I thought about all these things and eventually this name Creasol came to me, which is made of those letters C.S., um, and it just means crea is just short for create crea creativity, create mm. creativity. Sol is is the sun, obviously, and that all all creativity comes comes through the sun, um, or starts with with this input of of sunlight, and and that you know we now are in this position on the planet where 
you know, another thing I talk about a lot with my students is that is like people always say that we should be using renewable resources. Yeah. Um, and obviously the sun is one and obviously the wind and the water, those are all creative uh, or those are all um, uh, uh, renewable resources. But actually, to me, the most underutilized renewable resource on the planet is human creativity. Yeah. Thanks. The more you and, use it, the more of it there is, actually. It's even better. I, I believe that through good, exactly. And I believe that through good facilitation and through the, through the formation. And so a lot of what we do with, now with our groups is we, or with our, with our clients is we sit down with, with a group of people who are wanting to start a project and we, we eliminate, we try to eliminate this kind of like budding of heads and kind of like, no, it's my idea. No, it's my idea. And we look to actually harness human creativity and but i think by creating groups of people who have a shared goal and who are all ecologically literate that you can get you can multiply that 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 resource you know a hundred yeah 100 to infinity 100 or it makes no difference and again that kind of makes me think of like the stories aaron told about lou you know going around to everyone and saying what's your strength what are you best at and how do we how do we actually channel and direct all of that energy in the right area? So um, let's 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 narrow it a little bit again, and let's come back to yeah. Uh, you know, we were talking before about some brands, and Candle Tales is one of the ones that really kind of use our origin story a lot as our kind of like this is who we are, and because we have grown up steeped in these stories, and we like telling these stories. We can tell, we can teach people how to tell stories. We can also perform for people. Like those are kind of like the main things that we would do, and that's kind of why we use our 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 origin story, I guess. Whereas I think for Creasol, uh, you know what the character is. You know it's Lou. You know it's you know it's Lou filtered through your own personality a little a, a bit. But like Lou is the Lou is the archetype that you are in. Uh, internal dialogue with and I think the other kind of story that's really important for a brand is if it's not the origin story I think it is the overarching story I think it is the narrative that people will go through when they come into contact with your brand and with your process so it's what happens to them as their personality as they then talk to you guys and uh, and go through that. Mm-hmm. And it's been it's been a very interesting journey to see, like, obviously, there's a whole range of stuff, like when you started off and how you've filtered down from getting your origin stories to finding a character to find your own process. And it's a fascinating journey. It's, and like you've so much to offer and it's a fantastically inspiring kind of story as it's developing. And it's been wonderful to to join you on that journey to see mm-hmm. how you've created and narrowed down and come back to like again and again, even though you said you put a pin in it and it kind of stayed there, but you've come back to that identity. You've come back to it again and again and through questionnaires, through figuring out, through wordplay, through trying to kind of come up with the best brand and then leaving it settled and letting it go again, yeah. waiting for the time to percolate. And 
I guess, you know, now that you've got the brand, you've got the, you know, you worked with a designer, you've come up with the image, the beautiful sun, and, uh, you know, your, your, your logo looks well. You've, you, you know, the kind of the words you want to say to get your brand across to people. You have a wealth of information and loads of talking mm. topics that we could go into and get absolutely go down the rabbit hole. But to come back in terms of the, the, the brand that you're looking at now with the next step, the final step for you really is to understand that meta narrative. And what, what is that narrative that you'll be using for people on a further basis? And as you mentioned, it's that kind of, it's a story of transformation. You know? Yeah. And I think the thing about the story as well is, you know, in, in terms of the way that we both tell stories and also teach storytelling is that it's not a script. It's a, it's a series of beats. Mm -hmm. It's a series of beats that can then be played with and changed and emphasized in different ways. And I think when you're coming up with a sort of overarching narrative that is, one that will repeat, you're facilitating a journey, a story that other people are going on. So your brand, your 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 Lou is the guide. The person going through the story is gonna, I think, change from iteration to iteration or from from you know totally. Time. Depending on like uh, somebody with a lot of land, a lot of wealth comes into it with, okay, yeah. you know, or versus somebody who has none of that and wants to just grow some tomatoes in, in, in the back garden, you know, like, but it, it, again, it's empowering them to understand how to go through so, a transformation. But regardless of what, what their personality is, that personality is going to go on the same story. Yeah. And if you know what those beats are and you kind of know broadly, they go from A to B to C to D, you can then retell that story multiple Again. times as you are like doing case studies or doing social media posts or just kind of describing it as as a pitch you can have that in your head as well as like this is the starting point this is the midpoint this is the end point this is how we are actually this is how it's going to be for the person yeah i mean in a sense in a sense what we're looking to do and what i'm looking to the to kind of pass on to my clients is that um in a sense i want to we want to demystify permaculture design mm -hmm. and what we want to do is we want to get people as quickly to the pass as possible to the point where they're ecologically literate and they kind of like are able to embody these these permaculture principles which have been shown to be so effective now time and time again over the last sort of you know 30 years or so since permaculture really started to take off and it you know it just it works right that's mm -hmm. the first thing that's the first thing to realize it works it's a highly effective land management practice um and but what we want to do really a lot of the point of the of the company is is to let people, as you say, Sarka, go on their own journey and give them the, the principles, the tools and the approaches so that growth and evolution is happening across all the different areas and sectors of their lives. Um, because that's another thing that I became very big on. I, I do a lot of work with NGOs out in Guatemala, um, either yeah, particularly you now consulting and education. Mm -hmm. 
And I see a lot, both in the NGO world and in the in the private sector, I see a lot of failed permaculture projects, which seems to jar with what I just said. Um, but the reason for that is that just like I did with my with our one, people neglect really important things like their own spiritual and mental health, um, like the socio-cultural um problems in the community that they are living in um mm -hmm. you know finances and planning things that aren't in permaculture at all but you know i follow quite closely uh ken wilbur's integral theory and i like to apply it to all of the the design work i do now um but like i say the idea really is you're giving people what they need um not everything but you're giving them access to 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 the basic principles and ideas that I think people can take then into their lives so that them, their project and their community are evolving together over a long period of time. Lovely. So I think I just want to kind of feed it back yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit in, in a in a more abstract and and I guess narrative sense, what you are talking about is being the training ground for the hero. So you are you are going to take people who are feeling lost, feeling like they've got a big idea and they've no fucking idea how to execute it. They've got big ambition, they got big dreams, they got big heart. They want to change the world, save the world, find something to dedicate their lives to, improve their community. And what you're talking about doing then is taking that person and giving them the knowledge, the equipment, the tools, the training, and the kind of awareness of their cultural and social kind of context so that they can then become the hero of their own story and become hey. the leader of their own like micro project community, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. So like what we want is you know you imagine dropping a, a a pebble which is a hero going into a sea of of badly managed farmland and poorly planned cities and suburbs and saying like okay i am going to regreen revitalize this ecosystem here and I want it to be sustainable and I want it to work like a business and I want it and I don't want to kill myself in the process. Um, and my hope and my dream is that a pebble, the, the, the ripples come out from one pebble and they come out from another pebble and another pebble. And, and what we start to get is all those ripples start to interact with each other. Mm. Um, and, you know, like the, every hero, every person starting out, and I was like this, will have a tendency to just be like, the world is crazy and everything anyone has ever done is stupid and I'm going to read a permaculture book. That's kind of basically what I did. I was just like, you know, permaculture is brilliant. Nothing else really <laughs> matters. And all <laughs> I'm going to go with my sword, which is actually a machete, and I'm going to change the world, right? And then 
a lot of what I got hit with in the face numerous times and started times I started to listen is I was like, whoa, doing things the done way is actually really useful, or at least knowing what the done way is, say around setting up a business, say around getting a farm to actually, you know, produce enough food to pay the bills so that you can then diversify in a kind of uh, in a meaningful way. Um, you know, project management tools that they use to build uh, high-rise apartment blocks. You might hate the high-rise apartment blocks, but the project management tool is really useful. Makes uh, sense. And you, can, yeah. and you can use it to build a cob house uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and so a lot of what we try to do in our, in our, in our programs is, is bring light to these things. And like I say, I'm big on the Ken Wilbur quadrant model. I was going to ask you to, to summarize that briefly for us, because again, we've been talking quite uh, kind of in divergent ways, and would even come down on a, a little bit of a, a nougat for somebody to to latch on to to take take away with them. Yeah, can you kind of summarize briefly what this kind of model that you are, how you use it, or how it's yes, um, I. I just finished recording the introductory lecture to the course. I'm going to put it up for free because I talk about this. It takes me about an hour and a half to explain the whole, to explain yeah. the whole. Uh, We're coming process. to an end now. So uh, we, yeah, we, so we might just, we might just link it, summarize it real fast and we'll link the, we'll link the thing. Well, the, the quadrant system is particularly interesting, right? The idea that we can look at reality through an objective lens or a subjective lens, objective being measurable and provable subjective being having to be interpreted or believed. So, and then we can look at things uh, either from an individual perspective or a group perspective. Uh, so what we end up with is four quadrants. We have um, subjective internal experience and subjective group experience. Subjective group experience is kind of akin to culture um, mm. and subjective internal experience really deals with like what level are you, what level of development are you at across all of the different uh, areas of your life you know so yeah. how spiritually developed are you how emotionally developed are you um how uh um you know how well have you integrated and processed your past experiences your traumas all of that kind of stuff all the stuff that tony hegarty the renowned psychotherapist would deal with mm -hmm. um objective per objective personal is like how fit are you how healthy are you? What's your brain chemistry like? What's your diet like? Um, these are incredibly important areas. And then group group objective is like, if you're a group of people and you're starting a business, what kind of contracts do you have? What kind of business plan do you have? Um, what kind of, what's your relationship with your environment like? That's where permaculture fits primarily, right? Mm -hmm. Is lower right. Right. If you look at the history of the world as agricultural techniques and and um, as agricultural techniques and and technologies change, so does the individual and so does the society and so does the culture. Right. Yeah. Which will was kind of at pains to point out um, the crisis of modernity, the kind of the tragedy of modernity, as Wilbur said, is we get unbelievably good at measuring things from an objective lens. And so we kind of kill God. So we just basically, if it, we kind of become convinced almost as a culture for several hundred years that if it doesn't, if it's not provable and measurable, 
then um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. I got the universe basically, and we sort of like we engage in this overly mechanized, overly objective approach to everything. Uh, farming being a really good example, right? Um, and so what we're looking to do now is we're looking to integrate the successes of modernity and reintegrate the kind of like the old spiritual teachings, the old mythology. Mythology is interesting in this term, right? Because mythos means lie that tells a bigger truth, right? And so to the agricultural societies who had a mythological orientation, mythology was extremely important. The stories in the religious texts aren't objectively true. They're just repeated because they have messages that are psychologically really, really important. Mm -hmm. And modernity kind of came along and it just threw everything out the window. Baby, bathwater, story, light, yep. truth, a whole lot, right? Um, all far too seriously. And so what we're looking to do really with a lot of our clients is we're just sort of saying, like, go through the quadrant system. Realize that permaculture design is lower right and it can spark changes across the other quadrants. But don't think that it's going to do everything for you. Don't neglect your personal health you know don't neglect your mental and spiritual health do not suppose that whatever project you're going to do can succeed in isolation to the wider culture in which you live yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all very, very good ways of looking at all of these integrated ways yeah. of being and and yeah, I remember I was I was talking to Nikita down in Mount Shannon the other day about her, a visit that she made to to I think she was in Nigeria somewhere and going drinking in the in the bar with all the white people who talked about the people in the towns like they were like inhuman. And you had that like you might have your beauty. It just kind of came into my head there because you might have your beautiful big house on the hill with your perfect permaculture garden. But if you are treating the people from the local culture like pieces of shit who aren't allowed in your house, you've fucked it already. Yeah. And it's right. completely toxic and it's or never going to be sustainable. The typical thing that happens here, actually, because we live in Guatemala, where uh, the, the majority of, of the poor people are rural indigenous Guatemalans. And so mm -hmm. what tends to happen here, the typical journey I see people go on is they come in uh, with an unbelievably romantic and unrealistic expectation of what the indigenous people are going to be like and they've yeah. seen avatar and they think it's going to be like that and they assume that they basically assume that everyone who's rich and has power and privilege in this country is evil and that everyone who's poor is oppressed and noble and um uh and you know, then they learn about a thing called permaculture and then they say like, oh, let's, you know, let's go and share this permaculture stuff with the locals and they're going to want to do it and trash is a problem. But I'm going to explain to them about doing eco bricks and recycling and uh, it goes horribly wrong for them. Um, yeah. And well, what they're not, they're just their model is so hopelessly incomplete and they have no idea of let's say the importance of developmental levels and how a poor indigenous person is probably way higher developed across certain lines, like how to grow food and survive and build using a small amount, you know, using small amount of materials and, 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 and have this kind of intel physical intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but in terms of let's say emotional quote quotient like eq like people in these in these parts of the world literally i work a little bit now with um with a group of of recovering alcoholics mm. and you know like actually getting to the point where someone in this culture can describe their emotions yeah. is so incredibly difficult interestingly the way they do it so what happens here is when you ask someone how they feel they tell you a really long story which at the start used to drive me crazy because i'd be like no i asked you give me one word good bad angry fucking happy and you tell me this story that takes place over five years rambles (laughs) all over the place but it's because within the story are is the emotional content which they don't which they typically just do not have language for for um yeah. for describing right yeah yeah and I, I i guess like community building is so important and like facilitating those kind of conversations is huge and it's all fantastic work but it's also very daunting because there's so much to be done the you know as soon as you start looking at climate and as soon as you start looking at you know the forestation projects that are going on in ireland I'm part of the, the Gaelic Woodland Project. We just have a you know great goal of reforesting a piece of land, just a bit of land, to have a bigger right. ripple effect, to try and get communities you know involved in Mehills, to take down the cherry laurel, all, all that kind of stuff. We were just doing a talk we'll do this weekend, so I'm a bit hyped. But like you know, it's enabling people, it's empowering people, it's it's getting people the information to try and do that and go out and tackle something collectively that seems massively daunting individually, and coming together in a way that can facilitate bigger change not for right now this second but you know for when the oak trees actually grow up and yeah there's actually something in the soil much better off than it was when you know right now and i i think it's an interesting thing as well you know kind of what you're talking about people running into difficulties with and you know the 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 fix for that it's very much that that thing that we have in our culture of the individual like it's both sides of that right it's both oh I, the individual, can do anything. And also, I, the individual, am capable of mm-hmm. without the support of a community. And it's realizing that actually we are all contextualized by the communities that we are from, by the communities that we live in, by the communities that we move through. Mm-hmm. And like, we, it is madness to think that we can do things in isolation. Yeah, yeah. Like we're all profoundly interconnected. Yeah. And I think right. you see that a lot when you live in a small community, but... We're also, there are also like virtual communities that we are part right. of. There are. Yeah. And you see that a lot. Um, you see that a lot when you study ecology as well, right? Yeah. Like, um, the sort of like, uh, you know, the hippie sort of like, we are all one kind of mantra. Like when you look at things, from, you actually realize when you look at things from an ecological lens, that's just like objectively true. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and. I, I, again, going back to Ken Wilber, I just found him such a brilliant thinker and I, I read a bunch of his books over the years. Like his concept of a whole on is such a good one, right? Because it's like he basically says that everything is a whole on. It's a thing on its own and it's part of a bigger thing. Yeah. So an atom is an atom on its own, but it's part of a molecule, which is a molecule on its own and it's part of a cell and, and so on and so forth, right? And there's no top or bottom to that process. Mm. And interestingly, like the noosphere or like the sphere of, so you have the physiosphere, which is the sphere of, of physics and, and, and 
you know, balls and atoms and, 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 and planets and suns, the biosphere, which is a sphere of life, um, which is actually just the sun's energy turned into biomass and, and, and then held and turned into life. And then the noosphere is like the, the, the cultural sphere, the sphere of meaning and interpretation. It may be what Carl Jung called like the collective uh collective consciousness right like or the, I, think, um, I think there's slightly different frameworks that are talking about similar similar yeah, concepts yeah. yeah 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 similar concepts right but you know as wilbur said like the noosphere is also a whole on mm. right it's also a, a thing on its own um and like you're just hopelessly misadvised this kind of like this I guess like modern individualistic um, way of pursuing things is just, it's hopelessly misguided. Right. And it it just, it just flat out won't work. And kind of like, if this stuff does sound daunting, you know, really like all I'm, all I'm trying to do in the early parts of our courses is just kind of open the the framework a little bit and Mm -hmm. just kind of give people a context for, making sure that as they progress in their projects and their lives, that they're not leaving anything really important out. Yes. Um, Because if you do that, that, it'll trip you up later. And that was very much my experience. There's a few, I thought I was doing great because I was, you know, doing, I, I learned to build and I learned to do technical drawing and I learned to landscape and I learned to farm. But, you know, there was two or three really important things that are, foundational and fundamental and i just kind of got to put them in there i I don't like them and you know and it kind of like caused me serious problems as i as i went forward right as it does does. anything that you neglect is the thing that's going to come up and bite in the ass and it's been a year later or three years later or whatever it's been a fascinating journey to see you develop this brand through experience through you know going through your own uh mistakes trial and error and all that and, and having you know uh, the conversations we've had over over the years to then kind of see this culminate and formulate and now have quite a strong brand with a narrative with something that's going to be cohesive and look we'll have all the links down below we'll uh you know and you can support. say it in both you can say it in spanish and english that was another really important oh, yeah. thing but yes, that's right. actually very yeah thanks very much for listening guys and we'll catch you next time on the candle tales podcast you